Talk Radio 96.7. Hey, we're talking sports this hour because we have inadvertently landed straight into the Ozone. The Ozone with Ronnie O and Coach Joe. It's brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland, turning scrap metal into cash. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone, and you are right here with us. Give us a call, 682-1430 at 682-1430, or if you're technologically inclined, you can reach us at ozone at hallradio.net. That's ozone at hallradio.net. You know, I've always been proud to live in Lakeland, and one of the things that I've really been proud of is the generosity and benevolence of the population in Lakeland. And uh, our late friend Andy Bean passed away in October, and a bunch of us have gotten together and are putting together an Andy Bean Memorial Golf Tournament to honor his memory. And all the proceeds are going to go to the first tee of Lakeland, which Andy was a big proponent of. You might remember the Bean, Barkley, and Bryant tournament that they had out there at par three and a lot of people probably i don't know 20 people have gotten together and just i've just been so encouraged by all the support that has come of this um it's going to be january 15th at grasslands at 9 a.m shotgun start but the demand has been such that it's sold out as far as players now there are sponsorship available uh sponsorships available if you're interested in doing that contact ricky lee 863-581-9688. That's Ricky Lee, 863-581-9688. Coach Joe, a lot of stuff going on in sports. One of the big things that I saw was the Auburn-Alabama game. What a fascinating game. Auburn gets beat 31-10 to at home by New Mexico State. Sneaky and, good New Mexico State. Yeah. But, but still, yeah. 31 to 10. And their, their coach is Jerry Kill, you know, who's been around. He uh, suffers from, um, uh, uh, what is it he's got? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, he has, uh, oh man, I can't remember. Does does he have Parkinson's or MS? or No, it? it's it's not that. Anyway. We'll find that out. Yeah, we'll, we'll or call us 682-1430 yeah, if you know. There you go. <laughs> But anyway, he's been around. He was at Minnesota, and um, he's had uh, episodes on the sideline, actually. And um, But he's a very good football coach. And, of course, New Mexico State's you know, one of the last stopping off areas, and they were very lucky to have him. They go in there and beat Auburn, and you think, okay, Alabama's going to crush them. And Auburn's leading into the fourth quarter with about 30 seconds left, I think, or may- maybe more than that. And they, they muffed a punt. Alabama gets the ball back, and they've got first and goal at about, what, like the 15-yard line, something like that? Well, yeah, they had first and goal inside the 10, and then things started going sideways. Yeah. <laughs> including an awful snap that uh, that went got right past Jalen Milrow, and uh, he, they lost a ton of yardage then. And on a third down, uh, Milrow, for the second time in the game, by the way, scrambled crossed the line of scrimmage, and then threw a yeah. pass. So so that pushed him all the way back to the 31-yard line with fourth well, didn't down. Didn't they have an illegal procedure in there? Oh, there was, that was in there, too. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> One mistake after another. Yeah. Now, what I don't understand, coaches love a three-man rush. You know, they just dream at night. Their eyes sparkle when they think about eight defensive backs in coverage. Well, the problem is, and what Auburn did that I don't understand, is they only rushed two guys. 
And when you only rush two guys, and they don't even try to rush. They just kind of play patty cake with the two guys blocking them. And then the third guy, he's a spy. He's sitting back there waiting for him to run. He's not going to run 31 yards. You you deserve to lose. Well, he stands back there for over six seconds. He throws the ball into the end zone. The Alabama receiver standing in the corner, and the defensive back for Auburn's got his back to the ball. There's no place for that receiver to go. If he takes a step back or to his to the, the offense's left, he's out of bounds. The guy doesn't know the ball's coming. Yeah, it's the only receiver that that particular defender had to cover, and he, you know he should have been all over them. And he sort of took his eye off the receiver for a moment. The receiver got position in the corner, and then, like you said, he turned his back to the ball didn't didn't make a play on it. But the, the, it, it was almost hilarious to see how much time Milrow had to throw. And and if you think about that, there's no way for receivers to their defensive backs to cover receivers forever. Right. <laughs> That's why you exactly. have a pass rush to begin with, <laughs> because then it's a drill. And he had not only enough time to wait for the receivers to get in position, but then he had plenty of time to set up and throw. And of course, that makes his pass more accurate because it it was the fact it was so accurate right there in the corner where only the receiver could catch it. There's a joke online by those guys who uh, who do uh, these skits every week, making fun of SEC stuff. Oh yeah, and you 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 see this group of people watching the game, and you hear the announcer talking about Milrow back to pass, still looking. Receiver stops, ties a shoe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and this quarterback drop back is brought to you by, and he goes through yeah. a whole read, <laughs> and he still hasn't thrown the pass. I think he had over ten seconds to throw that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But that was poor defensive tactic to not put any pressure on the quarterback. It was. Yeah. And they had them beaten. I mean, it it was over if if you stopped fourth and 31. I mean. Yeah, we, we were tearing our hair out over fourth and 17. Yeah. <laughs> and there's fourth and 31. Yikes. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I guess that's payback for the kick six. <laughs> 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 yeah, that'll that'll work. It was the 10th year anniversary of that. so uh, Hard to believe it was that long ago. Yeah, I know. And since then, Alabama's been living a charmed life. And uh, I don't want to really talk about it because it's all speculation, but people are actually talking about Alabama making the playoff if they win this Saturday against Georgia. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the second Later, half yeah. of the show. Yeah, Maybe the third That's, half of the show. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of stuff that can happen, and um, – we, you know what is happening, though, Ronnie? Uh, some good news for Gator fans. Uh, Graham Mertz just earlier today announced he will return next season for his final year of eligibility. That is so critical because assuming that Lagway remains committed and signs with the Gators, um, you don't want him starting as a freshman. You know, I heard today, I think it was Ryan Leaf, talking about how many quarterbacks in the NFL have been ruined by being played too soon. And, you know, it's kind of the player's fault in a way in that they're getting so much money that the team wants a return on the investment. And the fans, they've been so ballyhooed and hyped, the fans want to see them right now. Yeah, you get into weird situations like that whole Carolina Panthers mess where they just fired Frank Reich after only 11 games. Yeah. And, and Bryce Young is getting his, just getting killed out there. And he's a good quarterback, but he's taken some lumps. And, uh, you know, he's not having the success of C.J. Stroud because his team isn't as good. And and so Young is put in these impossible situations, and he's struggling. He really is. Well, was it David Carr, or Derek Carr, that got ruined with the Raiders when they just threw him in there on a bad yeah, it's team. It's David Carr. Derek Carr is the current is, uh, Saints, Saints quarterback. quarterback now, yeah, yeah. So uh, David it's Carr, his brother, back. isn't it? I think 
Is it? Yeah, I believe I think it they're is. Brothers. Yeah, but David Carr, the original draft pick of the expansion Houston Texans, uh, who, by the way, one of the reasons Houston is so good, they got a ton of players in that Deshaun Watson deal. Yeah, <laughs> they they may have pulled a modern day version of the Herschel Walker trade <laughs> over there at Houston. They are they watch out for those guys. They're actually playing very well. And C.J. Stroud is lighting it up. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. Now, he's the antithesis of that. I mean, he's not on a bad team. But he's been a part of the resurgence. Oh, yeah. He's got great young receivers to throw to. And uh, Damian Pierce is uh, one of the running backs, yeah. of course. Uh, so he, he's got a good runner, runner there. But uh, C.J. Stroud, what a great arm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah he's, yeah, he's really played well for them. It's been amazing what what they've been able to do. But um, um, You know, a lot of quarterbacks, Ronnie, uh, surprised me. I was looking this up earlier. In fact, Darren shocked me that the uh, – you know how many quarterbacks have already entered the transfer portal or portal or plan to? Five of them from the SEC. Uh, Ken Seals, the Vanderbilt quarterback. Will Rogers out of Mississippi State into the portal. Max Brown, of course, the Gators backup. He's going into the portal. Uh, K.J. Jefferson, Arkansas. Not yeah. going to stick around for Bobby Petrino. He's going into the portal. And Max Johnson, Texas A&M. Wow. Plus, Riley Leonard announced today he's going into the portal. Tyler Van Dyke, the Canes quarterback, going into the portal. Won't play in the bowl game. Uh, Grayson McCall uh, out of um, uh, the uh, Coastal, Coastal Carolina. Carolina. It was one of those Carolinas, yeah. Coastal Carolina. And uh, the USF fans, Jerry Bohannon, remember him? He, he's, yeah. he's going to the portal too. But five SEC quarterbacks, and this is already, and the portal doesn't even open until Monday, but all these guys, starting quarterbacks, a lot of them heading into the portal. Oh, Max Johnson, he's got the silver sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> through <laughs> Medicare. He's pl- I think the word is he's planning to go to North Carolina. And replace Derek May, yeah, and uh, and it, Riley Leonard. Everybody would think he'd follow Elko to Texas A and M, but it looks looks more like he's going to go to Notre Dame. Yeah, well, maybe he's trying to it's follow Sam Hartman. A lot of intrigue this time. Your free agency in college football. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. You're listening to Ronnie Owen, Coach Joe, on Talk Radio ninety six point seven WLKF. Hey y'all, this is Mike Pouncey, former Lakeland Dreadnought and Florida Gator. You listen to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone tonight. Talk Radio 96.7. Earlier this afternoon, Ronnie and Joe caught up with Cooper Carlisle, former Gator and NFL player. Here's what that interview sounded like. It's our distinct pleasure to have with us tonight Cooper Carlisle, former Florida Gator, former Denver Bronco, and former Oakland Raider. Cooper, welcome to the Ozone with Ronnie Ocean and Coach Joe. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Cooper, how did a kid from Mississippi get to the University of Florida? You were one of the top-rated high school players coming out of Mississippi, and um, Steve Spurrier was able to pull you out of Mississippi. How would that happen? Well, you know, at the time, um, uh, I took a few visits, and uh, I just I fell in love with Florida. You know, they were were playing good football. I liked the brand of football, the style of football they were playing. And, um, you know, in hindsight, uh, it was certainly the best decision for me. Well, Cooper, one of the things that I noticed happened with you is that that 1996 season, you guys had – you lost to FSU in Tallahassee 24-21, and it appeared that all the dreams were out the window. And then a succession of miracles happened, and you guys end up in the championship game against FSU again – Talk a little bit about what went through your mind 
after the loss in Tallahassee and then the miracles that occurred and able you guys to play for a championship against FSU? Yeah, it was a crazy scenario. You know, we, we go to that game, uh, go in undefeated. And we were both, I don't know what the rankings were, but probably, you know, top three team matchup, I would guess, there. And uh, they beat us in a close game there. Um, obviously a tough place to play, especially when they're playing that well. And, and um, the interesting part was we lose that game, but then the next week we've got to come back after – really tough loss and play uh, play Alabama in the SEC championship game. So we had a quick turnaround, as kind of most times you do in a season, um, but we didn't go right into that bowl game. So we had to had to beat a pretty good Alabama team, uh, you know, the, the next Saturday to kind of keep, to keep our hopes alive, even though, like you said, we needed a bunch of help. Um, but we needed to win that game first. You know, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is – um, Danny Werfel was a notoriously bad practice player, and yet when he got in the games, the ball always seemed to come out on time, always seemed to be right on the money. Talk a little bit about Danny as a practice player. Um, you know, I don't remember Danny being that bad of a practice player. He was so, you know, so productive his whole career, certainly that year uh, and the year before, but um, I don't recall him being, you know, he doesn't have this didn't have the strongest arm and didn't wow you with things like that. So maybe that's where those, I don't know, those reports are coming from. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't remember Danny. I don't ever remember thinking like, Oh man, how are we going to win with Danny? I kind of thought the opposite. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest tonight, Cooper Carlisle was a great offensive lineman for the Gators on their first national championship team in 1996 and then had a long pro career in the NFL with Denver and also with Oakland. Cooper, Coach Joe here. Uh, you know, those of us of a certain age can remember when the shotgun formation was rarely used and uh, the Gators never used it under Spurrier until 1996. From an offensive lineman's standpoint, tell us a little bit about that transition, what was discussed, and uh, and why why that oh, helped. Oh, sorry, hold on. Say again? Sorry, I, the phone cut out. I apologize. <laughs> oh, I was, um, I was asking about the switch to the shotgun formation in 1996, the use of it, which uh, you guys had never used before. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of that was – I'm sorry, I, I did hear most of that. A lot okay. of that was due to – um, obviously, we threw a bunch, and, and a lot of that was due to um, kind of getting the ball out faster, I think. Obviously, Coach Bird would be the one to talk to, but, um, you know, maybe maybe let Danny see a little bit better. Obviously, the shotgun is used, uh, well, now, shoot in high school and a lot of colleges, that I don't think they even take snaps under center very rarely, but um, but it was definitely effective for us getting the ball out against those good pass rushers. Um for Florida State and, and, and other teams. But um, I think that's kind of was the origin of it for us, kind of maybe getting the ball out a little faster against those pass rushers. Yeah, well, you know, the Gators always talk about the that era, talk about the fun and gun, and you think about the passing. But you all were a very effective running team, and I believe Fred Taylor uh, wasn't too bad. He's now, by the way, named a semifinalist for the upcoming Pro Bowl class. Wish him the best. Uh, tell us a little bit about blocking for your runners uh, as an offensive lineman doing the run blocking in a in a scheme like the fun and gun. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Typically, um, you know, and this holds true today, if you have a team that can throw the ball well, um, you know, you get typically one less player in the box and guys got to play, you know, more of a shell coverage and things like that. Um, and we had great runners. Uh, you know, Fred was unbelievable. And, um, and we had, you know, we had a little good – Fred was, you know, probably the best, maybe one of the best ever played in Florida. But we had good runners – other than him, after him, before him too. So, um, but we were, we had a ton of success on the ground um, that year and other years, and I think partly due to partly due to you know good runners, obviously, and then um, you know being able to throw the ball consistently and effectively kind of opens up um, how many guys you know how many guys there can put in the box. Well, yeah, you know, you mentioned uh, trying to block those FSU rushers, that defensive line they had. And, you know, it's last week was rivalry week. I want to ask you from an offensive lineman's standpoint, because I've always read with offensive linemen, you're focused on the individual you're going to battle all day long, you know, regardless of what team you played on. And, and we know about the emotion involved in a college game, but you played for Denver and you played for Oakland, and these two teams generally hate each other. So I'm kind of curious about uh, about how – you as offensive lineman, as a professional offensive lineman, would approach a, a game given who you're playing. Is it about who you're playing, or the team you're playing, or or what what you need to do that day? Kind of give us some idea of what the life of an offensive lineman in the NFL is like. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, switching within the division is kind of odd, but I think there's a couple of layers. You know, obviously, uh, at that level. You know, every game is important as far as your playoff hopes, and and it also is your job, right? So if you, if yeah. you don't, if you're not inspired to play well, you don't last very long, typically. So there's a you know, it's a lot of different layers there, but obviously you want to play well for your team, you want to play well because it's your job, um, and and I think you have to approach it that way, you know, as your job and. Uh, be as productive and effective as you can, you know, every game. Cooper, this is Ronnie Ocean again. Um, you were a very serious student at the University of Florida making the Southeastern Conference all-academic team, and you obtained a degree in finance. We have a lot of kids that listen to the show. Talk a little bit about what academics meant to you as an athlete. Yeah, you know, you um, – I don't know if you can – I apologize. I'm in the car driving to the uh, – <laughs> Hey, drive safely, Cooper. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. I, I, tried, I tried to cut it off, and then I thought I ended the call. So, um, But, yes, I mean, as far as, you know, academics, uh, I certainly never knew what my, you know, post-college football career would, would, would be. Um, so I didn't, I didn't necessarily count on that by any means. Um, and, and Florida, you know, has the, certainly now, even more now than when I was at school, um, the reputation of being a great, great academic school. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very important. Um, take school seriously. You know, you're getting a degree, um, especially back then. That was what we got. Now, now they get, now they get money and stuff different than we got. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of viewed it as, Hey, this is part of, part of, you know, what they're providing me, uh, you know, an opportunity to get an education for free and, and uh, try to take advantage of it. 
Cooper, Steve Spurrier is a pretty colorful character. You got a good Steve Spurrier story for us? Oh, gosh, I get that question a bunch. Um, <laughs> you know, his whole, and most people have heard, but his whole uh, kind of style, he wanted to embarrass you so bad that you didn't didn't really want to do that mistake again. <laughs> um, so he, you know, he, um, the whole, you know, everybody's heard the story about it. it's not it's not our fault. It's not your fault. It's my fault for putting you in there. Yeah. <laughs> No one ever wanted to hear, uh, but that was that was certainly one of them that comes up when we talk about it. Uh, Cooper, you played for some very innovative offensive minds. Mike Shanahan was the offensive coordinator at Florida from eighty to eighty three. Of course, Steve Spurrier and Lane Kiffin is another guy. When when you're playing as a player, does it give you more confidence knowing that the coach has that edge? Uh, absolutely. I think so. Um, you know, in college, you kind of felt like, I mean, we certainly had good players, but, um, you know, I did feel like that we did over the years kind of outcoach, or he outcoached the things. Um, and, and certainly you were going to be in every game as far as, um, you know, scheme-wise and, and how, how the game plan was set up, I felt you know, he felt good about it. And then, you know, going to the NFL is kind of the same way. It's different, different as far as, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, Cooper, uh, are you, you know, still there? Or, you know, you're playing against other pro players, obviously. Uh, we're Florida, you know, you get a game here and there where you kind of can outman them. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, it certainly gives the team a lot of confidence knowing that um, you're going to be well coached and you're going to have opportunities to – kind of take advantage of whatever defense gives you. Cooper, we really appreciate you joining us uh, today to, to talk and, and hope you're driving safely and you get wherever you're going. But uh, one real quick last question. Now that you're safely retired and everything, who was the one person in the, in the NFL that you really hated to go up against? Um, you know, there was a ton, obviously. The, I think the few guys that jump out, you know, um, I played against John Randall, and he was on it. Oh, yeah. And he, it was late in his career. He was already at Seattle, um, but he was one that um, very, very talented and also played really hard. A lot of times you don't get that combination where they played that hard or that talented, and he did. And Warren Sapp was the guy that was really tough to play against, especially, you know, if he was able to rush the passer and kind of do some things he wanted to do. He was obviously a very good player. Um both those guys are, I think, were first ballot Hall of Famers, so I don't think I'm the only one that has that thought. <laughs> yeah, I think they give a lot of people trouble. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, Cooper. We, we really enjoyed right, talking thanks, with guys. you. Man. All right, drive safely. You bet. I appreciate it. All right, Thank the you. great Cooper Carlisle. We appreciate him being with us. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Oath. Talk Radio 96.7. Ronnie O, Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. Tomorrow night, the 10-3 Lakeland Dreadnoughts will travel to Gainesville to take on the undefeated Buholtz Bobcats. And that is a semifinal playoff game. So the Dreadnoughts last week nipped Mineola 77-48. to 
Buholtz is undefeated at home. The Dreadnoughts have won eight straight on the road. So that one of those streaks is going to have to come to an end. And uh, we want to certainly congratulate Marvin Frazier, Jr., who succeeded the legendary Bill Castle and has done a great job there with the Lakeland Dreadnoughts. Right now, the Seahawks lead the Cowboys 7-3 to in the NFL. And, uh, Coach Joe, we said we were going to talk a little bit about the um, playoff scenario. <laughs> Playoffs? Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that can happen there. Um, 682-1430 if you know the answer. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Who's going to the college football playoff? Yeah, exactly. There's there's a possibility for a lot of chaos. For that to happen, Alabama would have to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. And if Georgia wins, then Alabama's through. But should Alabama beat Georgia, and Nick Saban is 10-1 and in Atlanta, um, the only loss was to Tim Tebow back in 2008. And uh, Kirby Smart is 1-3 against Nick Saban. But the win was a national championship game. So, um, I But think he hasn't Georgia's beaten him in the team. SEC championship That's right. game. So That's there right. you have it. So I think Georgia's the better team. I think they'll win. But if they did win, if they did lose, then – what do you do with Georgia? You've got a team that's won 29 straight games. Are they out? And is Alabama in then? you got Texas sitting out there, assuming they beat Oklahoma State. Then they beat Alabama by 10 in Tuscaloosa. What do you do with that? Well, for those of you out there who weren't paying attention earlier this week, these are your top eight teams in the CFP rankings. Number one, Georgia. Number two, Michigan number three, Washington, number four, FSU. So in other words, as it stands right now, those are your four playoff teams, all of whom are undefeated, and all of whom are playing in their conference championship game this weekend. Then you get into the one-loss teams. Five is Oregon. Their only loss was to Washington. Six is Ohio State. Their only loss to Michigan. Seven is Texas, who lost to Oklahoma, Oklahoma has two losses on their and they're ranked farther down. And then number eight, Alabama, whose only loss is to Texas. All right, so <laughs> Alabama's in the SEC championship game. Texas is in the uh, Big 12 championship game. Oregon is in the Pac-12 championship game. Ohio State, no championship game. So now, uh, tomorrow night, Pac-12, Oregon and Washington. It's generally considered that the winner of that game is going to get one of the top four spots. That's three versus five right now. Let me ask you this. All right, Oregon is like a nine-and-a-half-point Isn't favorite. that wild? Yeah. It, it is. When they lost the previous game, now they went for a fourth down at the end, and they didn't get it. And Washington won on a field goal, and Washington beat Washington State on a field goal. And they don't seem to be playing quite as well as they did, but still they're undefeated. Well, no, yeah, you know, everybody's almost dead solid certain that Oregon's the better team and that they kind of blew it against Washington earlier in the season, and now that they get the second chance and it's at a neutral site that Oregon's going to win and win going away. Uh, and yeah, I don't know, that might happen. Oregon is very good, but so is Washington. And uh, either way, the, the, it's figured that with the season the Pac-12 had, that their conference champion, especially since it will be a one-loss conference champion, either Washington or Oregon, that that would definitely qualify them as one of the top four teams. Now, if you if 
so they would be like uh, that would be even if Georgia, Michigan, and FSU all win to stay undefeated. Uh, it, it, according to what I'm hearing, Ronnie, the odd team out uh, potentially because you're talking about if Alabama beats Georgia, that's the SEC championship game. That's Saturday at four o'clock out of it in Atlanta. If Alabama beats Georgia, you ask, does Georgia fall out of the top four from losing the championship game? If they were to stay in and still be they, – they couldn't rank them ahead of Alabama under those circumstances. Both teams would have the same record, and Alabama would have beaten them head-to-head. So who get, who's the odd team out? If Michigan, Washington, and FSU all win, I guess the odd team out would be – FSU. Yeah, a lot of people are thinking that. Well, I mean, undefeated and and conference champion and not not in the playoff. Well, think about it. Right now, what is their signature win over three loss LSU, four loss Clemson? That is their best win. Uh, if they beat Louisville, Louisville's ranked well. Louisville just lost to Kentucky, so that dropped them down in the They've rankings got, too. What, two losses. Yeah, yeah, to Pitt and to. Uh, to Kentucky, bad losses, both of those, because yeah. Louisville's pretty good. And so you figure FSU, especially with a backup quarterback, I think they can win. Uh, Watermaker's good enough. He's not great. He's certainly not uh, Jordan Travis. But you don't expect them to run away and beat up on Louisville. It, it, you it figure at least a close game, a game in the balance, even if FSU wins. So that means what do we what do we call that the unimpressive win versus uh, what Michigan is going to do to <laughs> Iowa? You know uh, nothing wrong with Iowa. The defense and special teams are great. Boy, if the Gators had their special teams and defense, how good oh, would yeah. it have been? Yeah. But their offense is the what? What's the opposite of good? <laughs> <laughs> Iowa. <laughs> yeah, the offense is unsightly. In fact, we should call them Iowa because they have no O. Oh, I'll <laughs> yeah. tell you what, it's unbelievable how they've kept winning and yet. Their offense can barely score a touchdown. I know they they against Nebraska they set the lowest college over under in the history of college football over unders at twenty three points total, and they got under it. <laughs> the final score was twelve to ten. Iowa beats Nebraska, uh, but Iowa was like one bad officials call away from an eleven and one season. Yeah, so you can't sleep on Iowa, especially their defense. But against a team like Michigan, that's going to be able to score a certain number of points against even the best defenses. Uh, it seems unlikely that Iowa is going to contend in that game. In fact, Michigan is a 22-point favorite in a championship game. Yikes. <laughs> against, <laughs> against a, a, like you said, a decent Iowa team, or like half an Iowa yeah. team anyway, the defensive half. But, uh, yeah, people are down on FSU. And the bigger, the bigger question if Alabama beats Georgia, though, is does that trump Texas actually beating Alabama in Tuscaloosa? It shouldn't to me. It shouldn't, Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, if you, the, the normal metrics that are used uh, would be thrown out the window because they don't favor Alabama in that situation. So they would set up a different set of, ma- of matri- uh, matrix, metrics, whatever word. It, help me out, Eric. Metrics. Okay, measurements. Met- metrics. <laughs> All right, metrics. different set of measurements to, <laughs> to decide how to, how to do that. Good recovery. Thank you very much. And then that, so, you know, there has been some talk. And I don't see this happening, but if Georgia doesn't win, no SEC team could, could potentially make the playoff. I'd be surprised to see that. Yeah, well, 
thirteen and zero Auburn didn't make it back into BCS. Yeah, but there's four teams now. Yeah, in the four team era. This, by the way, and I have to say this is this is why we had to have twelve teams. We're still going to have this discussion next year when there's 12 teams, but it's going to be about team like LSU as as the 11 or 12 team. You know, yeah. not it's literally set up right now. There's only four spots, which means one of the Power Five conference champions every year doesn't get in. <laughs> I know, and you know, I want to get rid of the vote as oh, much as I possible. Yeah. I want all the conference champions to get an automatic bid. And then you you can play your little games with the rest of the field. Yeah. Because you, you only got, what, four Power Five conferences now? Yeah, you only have four. And, and you know, once you get past, in this case, about the top eight, anybody after that isn't doesn't really, like, quote-unquote, deserve a shot at the national title. But you'd still have extra teams available to get in and have that long-shot chance, like an LSU or, or Missouri, by the way. Nobody wants to play them. They would be in a 12-team playoff even though their current records, because they weren't as good earlier in the year, wouldn't qualify them for one of these top four spots. It's just not fair with four teams, with this many contenders and this many conferences and this many teams. you you got to have 12 for that reason to take what you said, the committee, out of this. Yeah, I'm so tired of the committee, dadgum. That's, oh, boo, Kerrigan. Boo. (laughs) Boo. Yeah, boo. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's unbelievable, and it's all that anybody's talking about on the radio shows, uh, which is why I, I, I grimaced when I knew we had to address this, you know. Because, but <laughs> but I, I hope that if anybody has a thought on this, call in, you know, what what you think might happen, what you think should happen. But the idea of Alabama jumping over Texas after Texas waxed them in Tuscaloosa earlier in the year doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You know, no, it doesn't. No matter and, what, head-to-head should prevail. And the other thing that I don't like is doing away with the divisions because right. then you get a rematch. Mm-hmm. All right, Washington beat Oregon. Close game? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. But they still beat them. It's not golf. They <laughs> scored 36. Oregon scored 33. They lost. So, But they've got to play them again. Oh, that game didn't mean anything now. It's it's and wild. Washington probably gets eliminated if they lose to Oregon this time. They yeah they absolutely will. I can't I can't imagine a scenario where the loser of that game because then you'd have two Pac-12 teams out of the four and I, I something weird really weird would have to happen for that. And there's know. no penalty for playing a weak schedule either. No, they say strength of schedule plays into it. Does not. Well, I, no, it doesn't at all. And apparently playing each other <laughs> doesn't seem to matter at, at all either. I, I, I don't I know that, that you know if Ohio, if Big Ten had divisions didn't have let me start over <laughs> Big Ten has divisions but starting next year they won't if that was the case this year Ohio State and Michigan would be playing again this week after playing last week right. and, and then potentially in a twelve team playoff facing each other a third time somewhere down the road <laughs> exactly and you know that that just makes absolutely no sense at all to me that you might have to play somebody three times. And it could happen in just a couple of weeks. And, and you know, TV loves all this stuff, but that's you're not going to have a real uh, attractive matchup if, if that happens. Right. Well, that, that gets old fast, the idea of them playing each other multiple times, uh, back-to-back weeks, that sort of thing. Uh, that is something that needs to be addressed. There's nothing wrong with divisions. I think it brought more more uh, teams into the mix, like in Iowa. Iowa's a perfectly uh, capable representative team. 
They're not Michigan. They're not Ohio State. But Michigan and Ohio State got to play each other. So Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we're going to send somebody out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House with an opportunity to take $30 off their bill. You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe on Talk Radio 96.7 WLKF. Hey, this is D.D. Lewis, former Dallas Cowboy linebacker, and you're listening to Ronnie Ocean in the Ozone. Ronnie O, Coach Joe in the Ozone. The Ozone brought to you by Allied Scrap Processors of Lakeland. All right, Ronnie O and Coach Joe back in the Ozone. This Sunday, the Buccaneers are going to host the Carolina Panthers. 405 kickoff, 3 p.m. pregame right here on WLKF 96.7. Florida State. Saturday night, going to take on Louisville in Charlotte, North Carolina. That game will kick off at 8, and, of course, 6 p.m. will be the kickoff. Well, I know right now you're sitting out there, you're going, okay, blah, 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 blah. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I want to go out to the (laughs) Miller's Lakeland Ale House. All right. All right, blah, blah. Here's your chance. If you haven't won the last six months, Give us a call at 682-1430 if you know the answer to our sports quiz. Here's the quiz. The Raiders in the NFL have played in how many different cities? Is it two or three? Give us a call, 682-1430, 682-1430, and we will send you out to Miller's Lakeland Ale House. You can eat and drink whatever you want. Take $30 off your tab and Eric Clark will give you $12 million from the Eric Clark Foundation. Whoa, stop it. No, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. Man, we got somebody hungry and thirsty already, Coach Joe. They do know that the $12 million is in Eric dollars, right? That's right. <laughs> Which is uh, slightly worth slightly less than Monopoly money. <laughs> uh, yeah, Eric's picture is on each bill. <laughs> yes. He looks so cool with the monocle and the top hat, you know, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and the little cane. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Quite the likeness. Joe, how are you tonight? I'm doing well. How about you? Fantastic. You hungry or thirsty? Oh, uh, both. All right. I like that. I like that. You ever been out the ale house? Oh, yeah. All right. Yep, many times. How many cities have the Raiders played in in the NFL? Three. You're exactly right. All right, Joe. Way to go. Way to way to represent the name Joe. There you way. go. Well done. <laughs> can you can you name him? Oh boy, uh, Los Angeles, Oakland, yeah. and L.A. That's right, Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, actually, you said Los Angeles twice, yeah. didn't yeah. you? <laughs> but that's okay. All we were looking for is the number. So, uh, what do you get when you go what? out to the Ale House? I'm sorry. What What do you like to eat when you go to the Ale House? Oh, the beer is just fantastic. The the ribs are awesome. Everything. All right, you can't beat that. The environment, the TVs. No, I like it. I great, like the great specials think. on the weekend too. Yeah. Some really good stuff. Yeah, yeah, and no a, doubt, great place to watch football because the TVs are lined up so perfectly. You can watch six, seven games at the same time without moving your head. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> uh, well, Joe, if you'll hang on the line, Eric will get your sure. information, and uh, we'll send that out there tonight. You can go as soon as tomorrow and uh, tell them you were the winner on the Ozone, and um, they'll take $30 awesome. off your tab. How about that? Great. Thank you. All right. Well, hang on the line. Let Eric get your information. Sure. All right. 
Ronnie O and Coach Joe, we still got four minutes left in the show, Coach well, Joe. Well, speaking of four, I mean, technically uh, the Raiders did play in four cities, although two, uh, Oakland they played twice. So it was Oakland, yeah. L.A., back to Oakland, and now to Las Vegas where uh, where they where they play currently. And uh, so so when he said L.A., Oakland, and L.A., he kind of was right. So Joe's right twice. Yeah, <laughs> no exactly. extra prize for that, though. Yeah. But, <laughs> maybe, but, you know, that, that, since uh, since he's so smart, we probably should have asked him how this thing is going to shake out in college football this weekend. It's going to be fun. There's, there's These games are lined up really nicely. Only two of them overlap. That's Big Ten and the ACC are both Saturday night. So otherwise you have the Friday night game and the Big Pac-12, last game in Pac-12 history, by the way. And then Big 12 at noon, SEC after that at 4 o'clock, and then ACC and Big 10 at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. You know, since uh, neither one of those games is, is good, they figured, you know, a, <laughs> they'd have a good game and a good game standalone and then two bad games at, yeah. <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> and I think FSU-Louisville will be a decent game, but but Michigan-Iowa I, I, will probably be very difficult to watch. Yeah, exactly. On this date in 1942, Bill Terry – the last National Leaguer to hit 400 back in 1930 at 401 uh, resigned as supervisor of the New York Giants minor league system. Now, Bill Terry actually owned a Buick dealership in Jacksonville, and uh, he died in 1989 at the age of 90. And here's one for you. In 1952, Jackie Robinson goes on national television and accuses the New York Yankees of racial bias. You know, Jackie Robinson came into the National League with the Dodgers in 1947. The Yankees didn't get their first black player until 1955. Elston Howard was the first black player for the Yankees. And um, in 1954, Alan Amici, Alan the Horse Amici, won the Heisman Trophy. He was the 20th winner. And, of course, you might remember he scored the winning touchdown in the 1958 sudden-death game for the Baltimore Colts when they beat the New York Giants. Colts would repeat as champions the next year in 59, and uh, my man Johnny Unitas led them on those. In 1959... Johnny Unitas from? Louisville. Louisville, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, he was uh, born in Pittsburgh and <laughs> played at Louisville. Yeah, yeah. Well, they had that trivia question about... Uh, when Louisville was playing Kentucky, who are the Hall of Fame quarterbacks from each school? So I knew Unitas. I, I didn't know the uh, the Kentucky one was. Um, oh, Babe, I, Babe Brilly. I want to say Babe. Brilly. George Blanda. George Blanda. Yeah. That was the answer. George yeah, Blanda. George Blanda. I think he and Perilli yeah. were there at the same time under Bear Bryant. Yeah. 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 Babe Perilli, who backed up Joe Namath, I think, on those Jets teams that were really good in the '60s. That so, I think that was the only. Um, SEC championship they've ever won in football was when Bear Bryant was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know yeah. Frank Kersey went up there and let him, they run, def- I think they lost one game, but they'd caught him <laughs> paying players and stuff. So <laughs> they, they weren't allowed. I think it was 1977 when that happened. Well, um, did, you, did you find it interesting that the fans revolted against Texas A&M hiring Mark Stoops and that's yeah. why they went to Elko instead? Yeah. I'm yeah, surprised was- at that. Kind of like what Tennessee did with Greg Schiano. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time, so we wish you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend of watching football. And um, Coach Joe and I'll be back next week if we can get past the Christmas parade. And uh, Eric Clark will have to use his influence. Maybe he can fly us in on one of his helicopters next week. 
You're listening to Ronnie O and Coach Joe in the Ozone. 